Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning, good morning. Um, wow, uh, here's the, the early birds made it with us today, early birds online as well. Uh, thank you for tuning in and joining with us, engaging, leaving comments, filling out the card, and uh, joining all these beautiful people here today. Um, wow, we had an amazing, an amazing Easter weekend uh, last week here at Coastal. Let me tell you the statistics if you haven't uh, heard some of them yet. Uh, you know, we, we set a goal as a church and as a staff uh, to break 2,000 this year because last year year, uh, over those six services, we saw uh, over 1,700 people. We thought, well, you know what, 2,000 is a pretty, uh, pretty good goal. I, you know, let, let's, let's go for it. You know, let's just reach out to people, let's invite people, and let's see what happens. Let's just you know, work like it all depends on us, pray like it all depends on God, and then just sell, trust Him and uh, celebrate the results. So the results were that um, last week in, in person, uh, we saw 2,218 people uh, here on, on our campus, and uh, and then we saw another 1,301 uh, people online, watching online, so we thank you guys for joining us. So that means that 3,519 people uh, experienced the good news of the gospel last week uh, because, of, because of Coastal and uh, because of all of our volunteers, too. So thank you guys so much for volunteering and being a part of uh, last week's experience. And now we've added a third service, and uh, you guys have uh, done a great job and uh, uh, came here this morning to be a part of it. So welcome. So today, uh, we are jumping back into our study of Romans. I, I mentioned that last week in, in the Easter message, that we're going to do a, a kind of a short four-week series on uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, many people believe that uh, the book of Romans is like uh, the, the greatest uh, book uh, in the Bible. It gives the, the clearest, most in-depth look at a study of the gospel. And then that chapter 8 uh, is uh, the, the greatest chapter in the greatest book uh, in the Bible. And so today we're going to kind of, we're going back a little bit because we kicked off this series in the fall, made it all the way through Romans 7, took a little bit of a break uh, for the holidays and the beginning, and then in the new year, we, j- we skipped chapter 8, because we already said we're going to come back to that at Easter, and then we made it through uh, Romans chapter 11, and in the fall, we're going to uh, go back to uh, Romans again and hit 12 through 16. But we saved Romans 8. Uh, for Easter and for, e- for the month after Easter for a reason. Again, because it's just a great in-depth look at uh, the good news of the gospel. And specifically today, we're going to talk about uh, the freedom uh, that we have in Christ. So if you're taking notes, uh, number one, um, let's talk about the reality of our freedom. Okay, The reality of our freedom, which is there is no condemnation. In Christ Jesus, without question, chapter 8 opens with, it, with what is one of the greatest, most liberating verses in the Bible, uh, verse 1. Listen to this. Therefore, there is now no, what? What's the word? Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a phenomenal promise. It is a promise that is desperately needed today. Because I know of no other area that Satan attacks more often or with greater fury than in the area of your security in Christ. 
Now, the truth is we all struggle with sin, right? We all do. We're all sinners saved by grace, okay? You know, saved by Christ in him. We've all tasted defeat. You know, we've all, we all fall. But what happens is that Satan sneaks in with his lies and his, and his miscon, you know, misconceptions, and, and he leads us to believe that you're the only one. You know, you're the only one who messes up so often and so thoroughly. And then he exploits that sense of failure that you have, and he turns it into a sense of condemnation where you begin to doubt that you're even a believer, that you're even saved, that you have any security whatsoever. Because Satan realizes that if he can, if he can get you just to, you know, to, to not walk around in victory, realizing that there is no condemnation, you're going to struggle in your flesh you know, for a long time with that, that fear of condemnation. So it, his plan is working. And so we need, to, we need to combat that today, and that's what Paul is doing here. But notice, who is there no condemnation for? He qualifies this promise, okay? He says that it's for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is important. You need to realize that the Bible basically says that there's only two uh, classes of people, two, two types of human beings, okay? Now, with all the talk of, you know, who you identify as, okay, the Bible teaches that ultimately there really are only two identities, just two. Now, what the Bible's talking about is it, not racial, okay, not black, white, Asian, Hispanic, no. It's not socioeconomics, not, you know, rich or poor. Um, it's not political, you know, Democrat, Republican. It's not sexual. It's not male or female even. Uh, it's not even religious, you know, Jewish, Gentile, Muslim, it's not. And by the way, it's not Clemson or Carolina. I know that's important. You would think that's what he's talking about, but it's not. Here it is. It's those who are in Christ, okay, and therefore not under condemnation, and those who are not in Christ, those who are still under condemnation. So you're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. And so what Paul is promising here is for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you say, well, okay, Pastor Chris, well then, how do you get out of the one category into the other? Only through salvation. You know, when you finally come to the end of yourself and you acknowledge that your only hope is, in fact, in Jesus, who died in your place, taking on your punishment that you deserved on himself, on the cross, in order to forgive your sin. And through your faith, in him, you are born again, and you are placed in Christ, okay? So you are either in Christ, or you're not in Christ. Jesus himself said it this way in John, John 5, 24, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. Listen to this. They will never be what? Condemned. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. You see, we're, we're not just believers in the sense that we intellectually acknowledge and believe in someone. The Bible teaches that in Christ, you are actually in that person, 
in them, positionally, functionally. You are in them in, in the total, fullest sense of the word. And that's why Paul can write, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means that you are, listen to this, that means that you are as secure in your, in your salvation as Jesus is because you're in him. You know, now that's not to say that, you know, no condemnation, no condemnation means no correction. It doesn't mean that. You know, it, it doesn't mean that God's not going to discipline us from time to time because the Bible says that he actually disciplines those he loves. And <clears throat> no condemnation also doesn't mean that there's no consequences for, for your sin because there are consequences. We do reap what we sow. It also doesn't mean that there's never going to be any conflict, any struggle, because while we are no longer in the flesh, the flesh is still in us, right? But in spite of all that, Paul is teaching, the Bible teaches that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, even if we get caught up in the struggle of sin and we find ourselves doing the very things we don't want to do. Remember, that's what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 7. But God doesn't respond by kicking you out of his family. Again, you're just as secure in your salvation as Jesus is in his, in his divinity. Because you're in him. You know, if you've been born into the family of God through faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come to, to reside in your life, and he'll never leave you, never forsake you. You know, we, we have no more chance of losing this promise than Jesus has losing his, because again, you're in him. Don't you see if he's saying if you are truly in Christ, you will never face condemnation for your sin. Now, discipline to perfect us, yep. Consequences for our misbehavior, no doubt. You know, shaping us through trials and tribulation, absolutely. But as believers, we'll never have to pay the penalty for our sin because that's already been paid for. Man, that's, that's good news. That's, that's the freedom that we have in Christ. Number two, let's talk about the reason for our freedom. It's justification. So no condemnation, and now the reason for our freedom is justification. You know, so what is the reason that we are not condemned? So the answer that Paul gives in verse two is beautiful. Listen to this. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, if you remember way back when, when we were in Romans 6, Paul told us that before we met Jesus, it's as though we were still slaves to sin. In other words, we were, we were under the law, the law of sin and death. Sin was our master, and it was leading us to death, ultimately, you know, both physically and spiritually. But when we met Jesus... We were introduced to a new way of life, a, a different law, a different authority, a, uh, the authority of the gospel, which is energized by the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so when we place our trust in the good news of that gospel, we are then delivered, set free from the law of sin and death. What does it mean that we've been set free from the law of sin and death? It means that we have been made right 
in the eyes of God. Remember, I think, uh, actually it was Scott Huff who was preaching on uh, this chapter in Romans earlier and talked about justification. Remember, it gave you a little simple way to remember what the meaning of justification is. You are justified just as if I had never sinned. We're made right in God's eyes. It means that sin's ability to condemn you has been eliminated. Now, sin is still there. We still struggle with it. Sometimes we lose the struggle. We do things that we don't want to do. Paul talked about that in Romans 7. And sometimes we say things that are unchristlike. But listen, you will never be condemned for that sin. You'll never be judged for those sins. Why? Because they've been paid for by Jesus. Likewise, when we believe what Jesus says is true of us, and we begin to live in that freedom, we discover a new authority that's operating within us. He calls it the law of the Spirit. And this new law is stronger and more powerful than the law of sin and death. Now, let me illustrate it like this. Raise your hand um, if, like me, you wear uh, glasses. You, you have glasses, you're, you're glass, or maybe you have contacts, okay? Raise your hand. Probably a lot. It looks like, you know, probably more than half, right? So at some point, at some point, you know, maybe in high school, or like me, it was right after high school, right as I was going into college, you discovered that there was a law at work in your body that was affecting your eyesight, Okay. At some point, you learned that it was either the law of myopia, which is what? What is myopia? Anybody know? Nearsightedness. Okay. You either had nearsightedness, myopia, or hyperopia, which is obviously what? If it's not nearsighted, you're what? Farsighted, right? Now, strangely enough, I know this is really weird, a little personal information about Pastor Chris. I'm actually, I have both. I'm nearsighted in one eye and farsighted in the other eye. I'm a freak of nature. I really am. I can do like this, and it's weird what I can see and what I can't see, okay? But at some point, you discovered that one of those laws was affecting your eyesight, so you couldn't see what other people were seeing. And then at some point, you go to a doctor, and they introduce you to another law, you know, another way of life. They introduced corrective lenses, right, which... You could put on every morning and they would you know, keep working all day long. Now, think about it like this. Those glasses don't eliminate the law of myopia or hyperopia. But when you're wearing them, you see perfectly. Some of you have 20-20 vision with either contact lenses or glasses. But on the other hand, if you get cocky and you think, well, I don't need these glasses anymore. I can handle the situation on my own. And you take them off, what happens? You're in trouble. You can't see immediately the law of myopia takes over and you have the same problem that you had before. But if you continue to rely on your glasses, the law of corrective lenses cancels out or overcomes the law of myopia. That's kind of, in, 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 a, in, a, in a way, what Paul is saying in verse two. There's a new law at work in your life, okay? It's the law of the Spirit. And if you will live in the Spirit, cooperate with the Spirit, it cancels out and it overcomes the law of sin and death in your life. That's the, that's the reason for our freedom, that we have been justified. We have been made right in the eyes of God. Now let's look at the route to freedom in which we have to travel. That's substitution. Substitution. Look at verse three. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did, this is the, this is the root, this is what he did, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin 
in the flesh. Now, it says, for what the law was powerless to do. What was the law powerless to do? The law, okay, we're talking about, you know, the commandments of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses, the law of the prophets. The law, it it couldn't set you free, ultimately, from sin and death. Now, the law can reveal your sin, right? The law can convict you of sin, but it can't really free you from sin. You know, the law basically just demands, 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 but it can't enable you. It can't change you from the inside out, and it never will. You know what it's kind of like? It's kind of like nagging. Any experts at nagging here? Somebody point at your neighbor and say, yeah, they're an expert nagger. No, no, no. You know, it is. It's kind of like nagging. Now, think about it like this. Nagging can reveal your inability to pick up your clothes, okay? Nagging can convict you of your worthlessness as a human being for not picking up your clothes, but it really can't do anything to cause you to want to pick up your clothes. Nagging really just produces the same results as the law. It provokes, it demands, but it doesn't produce a change of heart. It really doesn't work, wives. No, anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't work, no. <laughs> That was bad. Anyway, but the law, the law can condemn a sinner. You know, it can point out your sin, but only God in Christ condemns the sin. So how did he do that? We'll look back at verse three. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Paul says that God sent his son Okay, every, every word in this verse is so important. He sent a son, didn't send an angel. He sent his son, his own son, as a man, and it says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus had a real body, just like yours and mine. And so, since sin had been committed in our body, in Adam, it had to be judged, broken, and paid for with a body. So Jesus took our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, we were justified. We were made right in God's eyes in him. This is the route that, that God took. When Jesus went to the cross, God put all the sin of humanity on him. Now you think about that. Think about all the the terrible, foul, heinous, injustice, crimes that have been done all throughout history. Jesus took all of it. Every sin of every person, you know, that's ever lived upon himself. And at Calvary, on the cross, sin gathered up all of its power and just threw it at Jesus. I mean, Satan came at him with everything that hell could throw but he lost. How do we know? Because Jesus walked out of that tomb. Jesus was alive. It was witnessed by hundreds of people over a a period of time. They all saw it. They all knew. Death could not hold him. That forever showed that the price was paid, that sin was defeated. So God through his son Jesus, condemn the sin that condemns us. In other words, 
when Christ comes into your life, he takes the power of sin away. He, he takes the authority away. Now, it's still there in the terms of, you know, our flesh, but it's no longer our master, our authority. It's been replaced by a new law, a new authority. The law of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ. Now let's look at the result of our freedom, okay? Number four, our sanctification, our sanctification. Again, you can see where, you know, in Romans, you know, all of the chapters leading up to chapter eight, we're kind of building up to this. And here in chapter eight, it's like boom, boom, boom. He hits all of them one more time. And Paul describes it, sanctification here in verse four. It says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh. And now he says we live according to the spirit. You see, by the grace of God, without you or I earning it, working for it, or deserving it, we have been made right, justified in God's eyes. The very righteousness which the law demands, nagged us about, has been fulfilled in Christ. And the minute we believe, we have faith in what God has done uh, about our sin in Jesus, and we place our, our faith and our trust in him, that righteousness of Christ, that goodness of Christ, is then transferred from Jesus' account to your account as a gift of his grace. But now here in verse four, Paul goes beyond who you have been declared, you know, who you are into, okay, now who are you becoming? You see, God's not just interested in declaring you righteous, justification. He now wants you to become more and more like he already sees you. And that process is called sanctification. So Paul is saying that with this new identity now comes a brand new inclination, a new life. Because you've been cleansed of sin you, and you have the Holy Spirit, now you have this new longing for a life of, of holiness. You, we, we no longer uh, are walking according to the flesh, but now we live according to the Spirit. In fact, the, the verb there in Greek translated live, we don't live according to the flesh, but now we live or walk according to the Spirit. In Greek, it's a word that indicates the, uh, the bent of your life, okay? The, the inclination of your life. In other words, okay, you're a believer now. Your want to has changed. Your bent has changed. So now live differently. God's Spirit, His Holy Spirit has created a home in your heart. Again, it's changed your want to. Now, one of the evidences of a believer is you, you want to do good. Not to earn something, not to, to earn God's approval, but because you have it. You, it just changes you from the inside out. We, we still have a, a taste for sin because we're in the flesh. Our, our, our new nature is still encased you know, in this, this flesh, this, this humanity. But now the lean of your life, the bent of your life has been forever changed. And so the rest of this section, verses 5 through 11, is just where Paul explains this new inclination, this new bent, by contrasting the nature of the flesh with your new nature of the Spirit. And he, he begins by restating what he said earlier, what, what we said here, here just a minute ago, that now there really are just two types of people in this world, no more, no less. 
Just two. Verse five. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according, in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Again, God doesn't judge people or divide people based on gender, class, culture, race. The only way that God divides people is based on their relationship with him. You're either still in the flesh or you're in the spirit. You are either saved or you're not. In fact, he's even more emphatic down in verse nine. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. In other words, if you don't have the Spirit, if, you, if the Holy Spirit doesn't reside in you, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. Now notice, it's also a contrast of, you know, it's not just the two different categories of people, but it's also two different concerns in life. And these concerns are radically opposed to each other. They're diametrically opposed to each other. Go back to the first part of verse five. He said, those who live according to the flesh, listen to this, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Have their minds set on it. Uh, the word in Greek there carries with it again this idea of disposition. In other words, this is a way of life. This is the way that they are inclined. Some people, uh, he says, so, so people who are in the flesh are bent toward the things of the flesh. You say, oh, that just sounds really weird, Pastor Chris. What are the things of the flesh? Well, it's really what the Apostle John was describing in 1 John 2.16. Listen to this. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. That's the way of this world. He says, these are not from the Father, but they're from this world. Just a craving for the physical, what you can see, you know, physical pleasure, uh, pride of life, stuff, possessions. That's the things of this world. He says, it's, it's all those things that are they're not connected in any sense to the kingdom of God. And Paul is saying, that because they're in the flesh still, they live by the flesh, they don't have the spirit of God, they're still chasing after this stuff. But look at what comes next. So in contrast to that, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. In other words, in Christ, our bent, our disposition, is just toward the things of God. It's a, it's a whole different outlook for these two different categories of people. And then it, it leads to two drastically different conclusions. Okay? Look at verse six. The mind governed by the flesh is what? What's the word he uses? It's death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So Paul's conclusion here of this freedom that we have in Christ, in the Spirit of God, is this. The person who's not in Christ, 
who doesn't know him, doesn't have a personal relationship with him, whose very bent is still toward the things of this world, lives in a state of death. But contrast that, the latter half of verse six says, but the mind governed by the spirit is what? What's the other word? Life and peace. He says, you've been made alive, alive to God, alive to the truth of God's word, alive to this new spiritual reality that, that is true that you live in, alive to the things that, the, the truth is that natural man, you know, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, really is never going to understand. And they're not aware of, of both of God and, and God's way and, and, uh, and, and a relationship with him. Now, Paul explains why the mind is set on the flesh in verses, uh, is death, in verses seven and eight. Look, listen to this. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. You know, isn't it interesting? We're always, you know, hammering people, you know, to live a certain way and to do a certain thing when they're not able to. When they've not been born of the Spirit yet, we're expecting something that can't happen. He says, you know, their mind is still hostile to God. It won't submit to God's law, his will, and it can't. Those who are in the realm of the flesh can't please God. In other words, the reason those who are in the flesh are dead is because they're still in opposition to the only one who can give life. And you can't do that in and of yourself. There's only one way it can happen. There's only one who can change your nature, and only God can do that. In fact, it's what Jesus was trying to say to Nicodemus in John 3. Listen to this. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's what happens when you're saved. When you are truly saved, you are born again into the Spirit. In fact, he goes on to explain that. Not, not a, a new physical birth, but he says it's a, it's a new birth of the Spirit, of the Spirit of God. That's, that's one of the evidence that you have been born again is that now your attitude toward the things of God begins to change. And he's changed your want to from the inside out. You have a desire to do, to do God's will. Again, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. You're never gonna struggle. And, and again, this is what we see in verses nine through 10 And then he closes out this whole section, and I'm going to close out with this, and we're done. Verse 11, listen to this this great promise. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because his spirit lives in you. So here is the most important question of the day, and I'm gonna close with this. Is God's spirit living in you? Have you been born again? See, it's, it's not a, well, you know, maybe, I'm not really sure. It's a yes, no question. It is. And, and it's not, listen to me, it's not, do you attend church regularly? Are you a good person? Listen, good people don't go to heaven. I don't care what a good man you are, what a good woman you are. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. People who've been born of the Spirit. People who've been born again. And you can do that today. 
You can come to Christ in faith. Listen, God's waiting for you to come home and you can take that step today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this most beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture in Romans. This great book, this great chapter. God, thank you for the the truth of your word. For those of us who are alive to the Spirit, it just quickens our hearts and we just thank you for it. But for those of you today who are still outside of Christ, listen, that's why you're here today. He is drawing you to himself and he's simply waiting on you to take a step of faith. Pour your heart out to him. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask Jesus to come into your life and make you brand new. And if you will do that, if you will put your faith and your trust in him, he will do it. He will forgive you. His Holy Spirit will take up residence in your heart from now until forever. And you will have a newfound freedom and forgiveness in Christ. Come home today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.